Welcome to the Grace Church Conversations podcast, a weekly resource to help you apply Sunday to Monday. I'm Jared. And I'm Craig. And this week we got a whole new batch of questions. Good questions. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I know questions. I know good questions. You you do. uh, I've asked a lot in my time. You have. And now you have answers. That's true, because I have you. Well. How are things going with you? Great. Yeah. Things are going going well. You have a good start to the week? Good start to the week. Yeah, this is Tuesday. We do this Tuesday dinner time basically mm-hmm. yeah um except you know we talk about our big budget but we don't have a budget for no, dinner there's no dinner you'd think there'd be food you'd, on this table think. while we're yeah i mean recording but this oh kind well. of production i i, I mean th- this level of production you yeah think, uh, it's shocking catered you think yeah. there'd be catered meals here but yeah, uh, it's exactly. just you and i with our cup of water and well that's because we're so humble though that's, we would never ask true. for such service yeah we don't want to uh exactly <laughs> Don't, don't want to uh, cater to ourselves. Oh, my goodness. No, off to a good week. And, um, yeah, just uh, looking forward to the podcast. And Great. really appreciate uh, people jumping in. We've been getting yeah. you know, uh, good questions, a yeah. uh, number of questions. So people are... People are participating, mm-hmm. and um, that's, been, that's been really encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Well... I was told... Yes. I was told by a little bird that uh, the podcast of the week that I was not here... So perhaps a uh, perhaps a, uh, a superior podcast. Mm. The week when one uh, Caleb Wilkinson and, and uh, John Shin were mm-hmm. on, that the podcast, that podcast, something that was communicated in that podcast came up in a community group discussion, really, in, in a positive way. I think so. Mm. I thought, well, that is, if this is informing community, yes. this, this little podcast is building community. Yes. So I, I was very excited about that, yeah, and that most is, most grateful that that would be the case. That is encouraging. Yeah. You know, more and more when I hear those things, it's just encouraging because we could just be sitting here every week doing this and you know it's only our wives listening but most but to know that there's at least one more person every week listening is i think it was your wife that brought it up at the community group but it's very possible (laughs) (laughs) no it was someone else so anyway that was encouraging yeah that's good cool well uh i appreciate your your sermon on sunday really helpful and uh well let's go ahead and dive into these questions as a reminder uh just for you guys um, if you've got questions, obviously that's what we're here doing is we, we're getting people's questions. So we want to hear yours as well. So feel free to text in uh, your sermon related uh, question to 469-573-2920. And uh, yeah, Craig, Sunday, you, you did an excellent job just kind of opening up Matthew 7, was it 15 through 23? Correct. Yeah, I'm just uh, talking through, you know, the false prophets and um, kind of breaking down those two, pa- well, concurrent passages, I guess, where right. it's it's addressing, you know, deceivers and then the deceived. Um, and I mean, it's obvious people were, were thinking deeply about this. So let's go ahead and dive into these questions. Here's the first one. If we could observe a false prophet's devotion time, what might it look like? Would there be Bible study, prayer time, quiet time? Are they deceiving themselves? Wow, that wins the award for most creative question. If we <laughs> yeah, could, if so. we could observe a false and and the question is, if we could observe a false prophet's devotion in quotations at yes. right, time. So that is really, really interesting, and I hope the questioner isn't expecting uh, too certain of an answer because this will be very uh, speculative. Yes. Uh, But I think the last question informs the previous one. So the last question was, are they deceiving themselves? Prior to that, uh, would they study the Bible? Would they have prayer time? Would they be quiet, you know, before the Lord, whatever? Um, 
I think, you know, the question, are they deceiving themselves is, uh, is, is an important one. And I think probably weighs in on, do they have an active devotional life? Uh, some may be self-deceived. And I think, um, that the next section where, uh, verses 21 through 23, where, uh, the various individuals on that day of uh, Judgment Day are pointing Jesus to what they did. You know, uh, it may imply that some were, uh, some may have been surprised. Hey, well, we did all of these things. Yeah. Now, that passage there, it doesn't say that's all false prophets. I think it's broader than false prophets, but they're certainly part of that group. Uh, you know, believers, unbelievers alike are on the Day of Judgment there. So if they are deceived, um, then it's certainly possible possible that they read the Bible and and pray. But I I think this has to really square with the language that Jesus uses, where he says, these are wolves, and they're not only wolves, but they are ravenous wolves. So there's something there about their motive. um, And they don't just seem to be surprised people overall. So for Mm. instance, Jesus uses different metaphors to talk about the true and the false believer elsewhere. So he talks about it being like uh, the wheat and, in my day, growing up, wheat and tares. I think modern translations may say wheat and weeds or something mm. like that. But the wheat and the weeds grow up together, and then on Judgment Day, Jesus separates them. Or Jesus separates the wheat, uh, I'm sorry, the sheep from the goats. So those are two things that may be similar that he's separating, but the wolves and the sheep aren't kind of part of the same group that he's separating out. The wolves are the enemy of the sheep. They do mm. damage to the sheep. It's a different metaphor than wheat and weeds growing together. So it seems like these folks come intentionally disguised as sheep, um, and they are ravenous. They're devouring the sheep. So. I think genuinely, generally, they act um, sort of to gain and benefit themselves Mm. uh, from the sheep. They prey on the sheep, P-R-E-Y. They prey on the sheep. Um, And so if that's the case, I doubt they're having uh, meaningful contemplative times of devotion. Uh, Generally speaking, it seems like they come dressed as sheep. They're acting like something that they are are not. Mm. There could be some that are self-deceived. I I wouldn't rule that out from the text, but at some level, it seems these people look good, but they're really showing up bringing the bad juju. Okay. There, (laughs) this is, this is not good, which might be a saying from witchcraft. I'm not sure, but at anyway, they're bad, which would be maybe very applicable here. They're dark. Uh, These guys, these guys and gals are, uh, you know, uh, doing dark things, the the dark arts. Uh, so anyway, I, I think, um, I think probably, uh, less deceived, probably more seeking to harm. Yeah. But not, but some could be deceived. Yeah. So yeah. that's helpful too. I mean, in that same question, you kind of would want to ask, you know, not that, you know, I'm not saying anyone who teaches false doctrine is not responsible for that, but they could have good intentions. They could be for saying, sure. like, man, I really want to honor Christ. I'm teaching this thing. And they, it, maybe they get it wrong. Absolutely. Maybe they teach something wrong. And, uh, I think it's important that you kind of point that out that, that Jesus was saying these are wolves with yeah. the intent to kill the sheep, uh, to use the sheep for their own sure. gain, that sort of thing. And um, That's and, different than an immature b- right, believer. Right. An immature That's believer really is a, a baby sheep. Yeah. <laughs> a little lamb, not a wolf. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that is good. That's helpful. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, a follow-up question I was thinking of, you know, so, so are they setting out, do they know that they're deceiving? Do they know that they're a false prophet? And I, and I think that by opening up that category of saying, you know, it's an intentional, um, you know, it's an attack on the sheep, then I I think that answers that as well. I think so too. Now I I would say that the heart, that the heart is deceitful. I mean, the, the reality is sometimes we don't know our own motives and, uh, now again, we're talking about a wolf here, but a wolf Mm. could, you know, there could be some mixed motive in it all, but at the end yeah. of the day, I think the picture of a ravenous wolf is one who is harming and preying upon yeah. the sheep. And so therefore you got to figure this is a bad motive, not a, uh, certainly not, certainly not an ignorant motive, mm. probably not a deceived person, uh, in the sense that they don't know what they're doing, but, uh, more, uh, their eyes are open. Mm. That's good. Cool. Well, moving on. Uh, in verse 22, false prophets seem to do the gifts of the Spirit. But how can they have power without uh, being known to Christ? The emphasis on where is this power from? The, this question, it's, a, it's such a challenging one because, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we take it out of spiritual gifts, because maybe we look at that and say, uh, well, I'm not sure I know that many people that are doing miracles and casting out demons. And so the, 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 we can distance ourselves from the question, but we could all look at and think of someone, most of us could look at someone that we thought, wow, that was a really godly person. Yeah. And they seemed very loving and representative of Christ. And then come to find out they were just living a very different life. How did they do that? How did they fake such sincerity when they were really, you know, um, didn't know Christ at all. Mm. So I think when we think about it that way, boy, it makes, we go, I can relate to that. Yeah, Um, yeah. So I I think there's a couple things on this one though. Where's the power from? So just as someone who seemed like a sincere believer and turned out not to be is a shock to the system. So someone who apparently does works of power by, by the Holy Spirit's gifts, turns out not to know how, how does that work that's a head scratcher mm-hmm. i think there's a couple of options here one is that the false prophets may claim that they have power that they don't really have so part of their being a false prophet is that they are deceptive so even when standing before jesus didn't we do this didn't we do that maybe they're even trying at the last minute to be convincing but even if that's not the case i think there would be some false prophets that just tell lies mm. so they tell a story about casting out a demon and they tell a story about um, giving a prophetic word that empower, you know, touched someone's life or you know, predicted the future or something like this when yeah. it wasn't even true. There's an interesting scripture in 2 Peter 2. This is verses 1 through 3 in the NIV. Listen to these words. I found this helpful, Jared. It says, uh, Peter writes, There are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, hmm. even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrespute. So they're going to they're going to bring heresies that are going to lead into a sinful lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But here's here's the line that was uh, verse three that's really interesting. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Interesting. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. I mean, mm. that is ominous. Their destruction yeah. has not been sleeping. It is on the move, coming to they'll ultimately be destroyed. But the point that's interesting here is they, they're they greedy, and they're going to exploit you with fabricated stories. Yeah. So some false prophets tell a story or 
even if there's a kernel of truth in it, they exaggerate significantly mm. a story so that they can benefit others. They can gain power over them because now you think I'm powerful because I told you I did this thing. Or yeah. they tell about a miraculous thing. And if you support me, I can go out and help others. I can use these gifts to help other people. And so they get money from you or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, they tell fabricated story. They exploit people with fabricated stories. So I think there could be some claims to power that the the people don't really have the power. It's a lie. Yeah. Um, I think that there could be false prophets who have power as the person asks. And in some mysterious way, God has chosen to act. Um, even though they are not his own, God has chosen to act around them, in them, through them, somehow. Now, there's a huge mystery here, but the, the, the text I would point to, a couple of texts on this, one I mentioned Sunday would be the um, illustration of Judas, mm. that Judas was used by God. And our, our, Sunday I kind of made an argument from silence. Um, and so this is not an argument totally of silence, but this is an argument, um, it, it, this isn't bulletproof, yeah, uh, a yeah, bulletproof yeah. argument. But here's a scripture that I think is helpful. This isn't from silence. Uh, it, Hebrews, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew 10, 1. And he called to him, Jesus called to him, his 12 disciples, and he gave them, who? The 12 disciples. He gave his 12 disciples authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Jesus gave all 12 um, disciples power to cast out demons and power to heal. And then it lists them. Here's who the 12 are. It lists mm-hmm. them. And then the verse four, uh, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Hmm. So Judas is in the 12. It, Judas was given the power to cast demons out. W- what is that power? He was given the power to heal. What is that power? Yeah. I can only assume that somehow it was God working because he loved the people that perhaps Judas prayed for or that he was with the other 12 and like three to, three of the disciples are praying for someone and he doesn't counsel it yeah. out because Judas is in the prayer circle. Right. So he was a part of it. Right. Um, so I think that's one. Another one would be in Numbers 24 too. You see God actually speaking to protect his people through Balaam, mm. through the prophet Balaam. And uh, Balaam's not a, uh, a believer uh, in, in God. He's not a people. He's not part of the covenant family. But God speaks through him. He's hired by Balak to curse God's people. But God speaks through him. And he says, I can only speak what I get. And God gives him a message and speaks through him. God also speaks through the through the donkey. We don't know if he was an unbeliever or uh, a believer, but, but Balaam is, seems to be on the other team yeah. and uh, yet God speaks for him. So there's two examples. So mm. it could be their false prophets. Something happens and in a mysterious way, it's God at work. I think the most common situation, if, a, if, if something's happening through these false prophets is that it's the power of the enemy. Yeah. Um, you know, Matthew 24, Jesus says, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders hmm. so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So Jesus doesn't say in the, um, you know, he, he says they will arise and actually perform signs and wonders. He doesn't say the source of that, but uh, evidently, I think in most situations, if they're false, if they're claiming to be Christ, um, if they're claiming to be Christ, God's not using that. You know, you yeah. assume that's uh, the devil. Yeah. L- let me give one example, Jared. I know I'm giving a long answer on this one, but I no, wanted no, to no, give no, I wanted good. to give all categories. Um, 
false prophets claim power they don't really have, um, and it's not a, and it's a lie. It's mm-hmm. not true. False prophets somehow do some act, and in the case of Judas, it was God acting for the good of someone else in spite of the person who prayed. Mm. And then the last one would be, you know, the enemy. And the example here, this is a, man, this is a wild one. Out of Acts 16, uh, it says, this involves Paul, it says, Acts 16, 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Uh, and and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling so she could sort of tell the future. Hmm. Uh, she followed Paul and us crying out, quote, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, not to the woman, but to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Then the story goes on and her owners are really mad because now she's lost the power to tell the future in any way and to prophesy. Thus, they've lost their um, you know, they've lost their ability to make any money. So presumably at some point, at some level, she got it right sometime. I mean, she told the, she was telling fortunes. There was something that she got accurate because there was a good business. But what she did get accurate here at, at a surface level, what she says here is true. They are from the most high God and that who proclaimed you the way of salvation. Now, this is a statement that is evidently inspired by a spirit that is demonic. And why would a spirit that is demonic even say anything like that? Well, it ended up causing a lot of confusion. Paul didn't want to be associated. So even though the statement was accurate, it caused a sense of confusion that Paul didn't mm. want to be associated with the fortune teller. He didn't want to, he didn't want people to be uh, confused that somehow she's on his team. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got Luke, we got Paul, we got Silas, we got the fortune teller that, was, <laughs> that you know, she didn't make the team. So uh, he didn't want that to happen, but you could see how the enemy could come in there and even by communicating something that was accurate about mm. Paul, ultimately bring disrepute on the gospel and on Paul's ministry. So, um, because, because of her. So at any rate, I think there's an example of someone who had some kind of gift, but it was clearly demonic. She's not a false prophet, but this is an example of someone who has a demonic spirit, but is still that demonic spirit empowers this person to, uh, to do works or give prophetic words that appear to be genuinely powerful and yeah. that sort of thing. So um, there's a case there in the New Testament, yeah. but it's, it's tricky stuff for yeah. sure. I think the takeaway point is whether it's someone who is lying, whether it's someone who on a rare occasion God uses them, or whether it's someone that's being used by the devil, it's, they're animated by demons. Um, the, the takeaway point is that you cannot judge a person's standing with Christ merely by the testimony of an external work of power. Yeah. I think that's the point. Yeah, that's helpful too. I mean, I, I think it's the probably the New Testament pattern, um, especially in Acts, of the apostles bring a message, and mm-hmm. and and that's accompanied by signs that affirm right. that. Even in you know the Gospel of John, Jesus is doing great signs that affirm the message he's bringing Absolutely. about the kingdom and about who he is. Um, and so it's easy to maybe get in the pattern of thought of like, wow, they did this amazing thing. Their mm-hmm. message must be true. Um, yet scripture is always saying, Hey, test the message, test the message, test it against scripture. And so it's helpful to be reminded that, you know, we need to be, (laughs) it's not just the, the sign and it's not just the message, but it's both of them together.
It is, it is both. And, and, and in the passage we looked at about fruit, it may be the person's life to a degree as mm. well. Certainly if someone's claiming to be a prophet for God, but they're living in unrepentant lawlessness is the word Jesus uses in that passage from verse 23. If they claim to be a prophet, but they live in unrepentant lawlessness, Jesus would say, I never knew you. Mm. So yeah, that's good. All those, but it's a good point. The message is so vital. We have to be discerning of true, true doctrine. That second Peter passage yeah. Said they bring in heresies. Yeah. So. That's good. Cool. Next one. Do you think all false uh, false prophets are legalists? No, I don't. A, a legalist, and people use legalism in, in differing ways. But I the um, the strictest probably definition of legalism would be trying to gain right standing before God based on one's own works. Mm. Trying to self-justify. Self-righteousness would be ultimately legalism. Uh, but I don't think that all false prophets um, are even necessarily concerned about uh, their justification. You know? <laughs> and the, the passage, again, from Second Peter that we read, there will, there will be false prophets among you just as there will be false teachers. They will introduce destructive heresies, uh, bringing swift destruction. Many will follow their depraved conduct. Mm. So in that case, it wasn't like they were... Uh, usually when you think of depraved conduct, you're thinking more of immorality, not... Legalism, sure, on, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, did, did you do? Did you avoid eating that the, that food or something? So um, I, I think there are many false prophets that give into license. Oftentimes, you, you see this in the New Testament, but oftentimes greed and sexual sin, license, you know, sexual immorality, mm-hmm. license is is tied to uh, false prophets. So if the prophet can create a message, if the prophet can deliver powers and words that incline him or her to make money and to be immoral. That, that, mm. those, that, that frequently is the package, uh, lust and greed, go, mm. go with this. So lust and greed wouldn't necessarily be uh, acts of uh, Phariseeism. You don't yeah. say that would be Phariseeism. So I, I don't think they're all legalists, no. Mm. Very good. Uh, next, would you categorize anyone outside of traditional Christendom as false prophets uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, Scientologists, etc.? Um, well, I think in terms of what do we mean by false prophet, if we generally mean someone who uh, claims to bring a word from God and they don't know God, they're outside of relationship with God, then false prophets could go, it could be very broad. I think what Jesus is talking about in this passage is false prophets who are wolves but appear to be sheep. That's mm. what he says, they approach you as sheep. So that that would be people that are connected to... Um, uh, the older new co- who are representing the older new covenant. They're coming to you under the old covenant, um, you know, uh, representing that they are sent from Yahweh. They're coming under the new covenant. You know, it depends on what time the prophet shows up, but they're mm. coming under the new covenant, claiming to be connected to Jesus, um, and uh, that's that sort of thing. Or, or maybe they're claiming to be Jesus themselves, a, a false Christ. He talks mm. about. So I think where he talks about here, those who would come and look like sheep, I, sheep. I think that's going to be uh, those who um, who have some uh, who have some connection 
to uh, Old New Testament, biblical Christianity. So Scientologists, I don't know enough about Scientology. Um, I know it's clearly a false belief. Um, I, I don't know that there's much connection with the scripture there. Um, they are a religion. They do talk about uh, the church of Scientology, but they don't really hold up a Messiah or an, or a view of scripture as authoritative. Yeah. So I, I'd put them outside of what Jesus is addressing in this passage. Hmm. Would I say they're false prophets, a Scientologist who teaches somebody, L. Ron Hubbard? Yeah. Would I say he's a false prophet? Yes, I would say he represented something that was not true. But hmm. I don't think it's tightly what's in view here. Yeah. I think Mormonism would be. I mean, I think Mormonism would be, um, and, and let me just say at the get-go here, I think Mormons are the Mormons I've met are wonderful people, yeah. uh, gracious people. Um, mm-hmm. I respect much about them and their lifestyle, but I, I think their beliefs are false because mm-hmm. I think they base them on a revela- a supposed revelation to Joseph Smith, um, and I believe he was a he was not a true prophet of God. Um, and so I would say someone like them would fit this mm. uh, a bit more, and as would. Um, uh, Russell, the guy who started the Jehovah's Witnesses, something Russell, Charles Russell, maybe. Yeah, I, Charles T. Yeah, Russell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not real up. I studied these all three of these groups years and years ago, but not recently very much. So I'm not up on them. But I think they would be the same way. Jehovah's Witnesses would present themselves as those who are coming, yeah. representing Christ, and yet they don't believe in the right. deity of Christ. So I would say, yeah, there's functional, basic views here about the authority of Scripture and the deity of Christ that Mormons Jehovah's, and Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses are not orthodox, and so mm-hmm. I think they're representing. A, a false way. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm not saying that they're out devouring people to make money, but there are other reasons that a false prophet initially, like a Joseph Smith, there's reasons that they could bring, um, you know, there's all kinds of reasons that someone could be motivated uh, along the lines of bringing something that's false. So yeah. at any rate, I, I think, yeah, that, that's what I think about that. I don't no, know that's if that's good. helpful, but... No, I thought that was helpful for sure. All right, lastly, you said Judas was a false disciple or false prophet. How do we know that maybe he was a true disciple but fell into sin and gave into the temptation to betray Jesus? You know, that's a very thoughtful question because anybody, Peter betrayed Jesus. Mm. I mean, anybody can follow the Lord and deny him and come back. And you say um, it was a moment of fear and weakness and uh, a moment of, um, it was afraid for my own safety or, you know, whatever it is. So you could deny the Lord and be a Christian. Mm. Um, it, Peter's the example there. Uh, Judas denies the Lord and then uh, hangs himself. Uh, the issue with Judas is that Jesus himself says that he, Judas is different than Peter and all the other 12 disciples. When, when um, Jesus is praying in John 17 and he's praying for the unity of his people and he's praying for uh you know, he was also praying in reference to his disciples. He says in verse 12, while I was with them, meaning the disciples, I kept them in your name, which you gave, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost Hmm. except the son of destruction Hmm. that the scripture might be fulfilled. So Judas, and and there's several Psalms that refer to, um, I didn't write down the references, but there's several Psalms that that, uh, sort of are used uh, in reference to uh, to predicting Judas, you see this in Acts when they when they pick a replacement for Judas, they quote a couple of Psalms and say yeah. that this pointed to his uh, that he would turn on the Lord. But it's interesting. But he's here called he's called lost 
and the other 11 are not lost. And he's the son of destruction. Mm. Uh, in the parable that we read, la- that we looked at last week, the wide gate and the broad road leads to destruction. So when yeah. it talks about destruction here, that is, um, that, that's not a, a bad day or a bad year or life didn't <laughs> turn out like I planned. That's, e- that's an eternal judgment upon yeah. him. So when it says destruction, He's the uh, son of perdition, I think the old uh, versions would call it. But uh, he is the son of destruction and is lost. So I don't think he was a, a genuine believer. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, <laughs> not that this is necessarily, I mean, it's on topic, but it's not necessarily. Anyways, I'll just say it. Anytime I read the the section of the Passover and whatnot, and it and it in I don't know how many of the Gospels it says this. I would say probably the Synoptic, but uh, where it says and Satan entered him. Yeah. Man, look, yeah. What darker place of scripture is there? Yeah. It's it's not just some yeah, that's demon, a good point. not some Satan spirit. Himself. Satan himself yeah, was yeah. there, you know, ensuring that Christ yeah. was put to death, and yeah. you know, so it's just anyways. very different than Peter. You yes. don't ever hear that. Any nothing like that, right? About Peter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's, he's in a different category. Yes. Yeah. That's good. That's a good uh, good point. Interesting. So, anyways, well, I, hey, I, you threw out there a uh, fifteen dollar word. Synoptic. Ooh. So the synoptic <laughs> gospels are what, Jared? They are the the gospels that are more a synopsis of Jesus' ministry, whereas uh, you know, John is is a wee different. bit different. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels, right? And you see them together. I think I think maybe syn- I think synoptic optic is C, right? Syn S Y N. I yeah, think it S-Y-N. means C together, maybe. I think it means C together, but I'm not, I'm not certain on that. Is that what that means where you'd say like a synopsis, you're seeing the whole picture? Yeah, kind of I thing? think so. I think that's what it would mean. And I think in the three of them, you see them, there is, like you said, John is distinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, John has unique features about it, but the yeah. three of them uh, appear, you see them together. They are, uh, you know, presumably Mark's the first written and they, they uh, Matthew and Luke rely on him significantly. So I think there's a... I think that's, I think they're, you kind of see them together in the same way, Yeah. but John's unique, but you use the word, so I had to ask. No, that's good. We should have saved that for our apologetic moment, moment yeah. podcast. Oh, you mentioned doing... that, the apologetic moment. Yeah, yes. So There's the, apo- yeah. What is, what is that's our $15 uh, words? That's, that's where exactly we put all of them. That's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Wow. Anyways, well, I, we kind of touched on it. I didn't know if you want to take a moment and just talk a little bit about assurance, because I think this is this. Mm-hmm. Th- there's kind of a natural question there of like, well, goodness, uh, if people can go before the Lord and say, hey, look at all the I, I thought I was there. Yeah. I thought that you knew me. Here's all the things I was doing for you. Yet you don't know me mm-hmm. and you're sending me away. Uh, you know, how, what hope is there for us who, yeah. you know, we're going to church. We we feel like we're there. We feel like we, we th- I think I'm. I'm repenting. I yeah. think I'm, I'm pursuing repentance. Yeah. I'm pursuing community. I'm in a community group. Yeah. You know, I feel like I'm doing things as I should, as unto the Lord. Yeah. And, and, you know, but, you know, reading something like this really shakes me, you know, yeah. how do I know that I'm not just as deceived as those people were? Well, I think it's a great question. And it's, I tried to make the point Sunday, it's a common question and it's more, those who don't wrestle with assurance much, uh, I would just communicate that it's a more common, uh, reality than, than, you know. Um, Mm. and, uh, 
some people don't wrestle. Everybody wrestles with something, but some people don't wrestle with this too much. Um, so I tried to say on Sunday, you know, ultimately the answer is to examine ourselves, ultimately to look to Christ. That's how we cultivate assurance. But in examining ourselves, I mean, I think there are some things um, I, I tried to communicate on Sunday. Do I understand intellectually the gospel? Do I, have I uh, confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart? So is mm-hmm. there a sense of which I am, I want to know him and I want to follow him? That sense of um, from my, from my heart, from the core of my being, is there something like that? And then have I entrusted myself to him as best I know, have I said, I've cut off the other pathways. I've, I've come, I, he really has been the narrow gate for me. I've not said, Jesus, and I've still got my options open, uh, but I, I've entrusted myself. I'm, I've said it's not my works. It's not another faith. It's not another way. It's Jesus alone, and I'm counting on him fully. So I, I think those are the kind of, we can evaluate those kinds of things. And then in terms of also examining ourselves as to fruit, because we did talk about that, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, what is genuine fruit? If yeah. just having saying, hey, I uh, cast out a demon or did a work, Jesus. That, that wasn't uh, that wasn't verifiable fruit of knowing Christ. What is verifiable fruit? I think some things would be like I mentioned this in the conviction of sin. If yeah. someone can go about and not feel any con- any concern of sinning against a holy God, I think that's that's not a good sign. But if you know conviction of sin, the fact that someone asks this and is concerned about it, that says a lot in yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, I would say something of a desire for the scripture, something of a desire to be with God's people. These are signs that the Holy Spirit uh, is alive in a person, mm-hmm. that they are convicted, that they want to know God, that they love the Lord, that they're, uh, they have some desire for his word, some desire to worship and be with his people, some desire for other people to know Christ as well. You know, um, those are the kind of things that someone is alive, a desire yeah. to love and to represent Christ yeah. to others. Yeah. But I think there are reasons that sometimes, so I think we cult, so we, we look at that, but then I think we ultimately cultivate it by what we talked about Sunday, listening to the word, being saturated in the gospel, communion, uh, at watching someone else's baptisms a reminder for us. So the, commu- the word and sacrament help us cultivate assurance. One thing I didn't talk about on Sunday is why would someone lack assurance? So if the Holy Spirit's in you, why isn't at that point, it's a done deal? Mm-hmm. You know, why would I ever think about, why would I ever wrestle with it? Um, well, what, here's a couple reasons for that. One could be, it could be a newer believer. I, I, this doesn't surprise me that a newer believer would wrestle with this. Now, I gave an example of you know, people that are very mature and seasoned who struggle with assurance. Yeah. So that's true. But I think a lot of times sort of new believers, spiritual immaturity, as they grow more and get more secure in scripture, they're more confident in what Christ has done for them. So sometimes it's being new and uh, that can be a reason. Uh, Another reason is someone's been exposed to false doctrine. So maybe Mm. they really do believe the Bible, um, that we're saved by Christ, by grace through faith, but they really have a deficient sort of grasp on the gospel. And maybe they've, they've just had some false doctrine along the the way where they've been really, they've heard somebody talk about, you must persevere till the end, which is true, but it's the Holy spirit that preserves us to the end. But you, you know, so they're, they're wondering, can I lose this? And Mm. they're worried about that. And they've heard some, they've heard that. And, um, and so they've, even if they haven't fully bought into that, there's still something that's not true that they that 
influences them that they need truth to, to help sort that out. Yeah. Um, it could be someone who lives in disobedience, uh, someone who's living in sin. I'm not saying if you wrestle with assurance that you're in sin. I'm saying just, but I am saying the flip. If you are living in sin, you may have, you may really be saved and not sure about it, or you may be not sure about it and you're not really saved. But the question comes up with someone who's not living a life, a, a desiring to live a life to follow the Lord. There is that mm. kind of question that can come up. So, I mean, those are, those are various kinds of reasons. It could also be a spiritual attack where yeah. I think uh, temptation that the flesh or spiritual forces, mm-hmm. uh, dark forces, which, you know, Satan can really neutralize uh, someone's fruitfulness in the kingdom if if he can cause us to just be stuck looking inward. Yeah. Am I? Am I not? Am I? Am I not? Yeah, well, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah. If, if I'm just looking inward and I'm not looking to Christ, then uh, I, I'm not going to be accomplishing uh, what the Lord wants to accomplish through me. So yeah. there's a spiritual battle there too. Yeah. But I, I just want to reiterate what I said Sunday. If this is an issue for you, there's no shame in it. Yeah. Uh, it's a real struggle. I mean... Um, for many people, just open up and, and admit it and, and get some help. Yeah. And, uh, and just by acknowledging that and getting help, you may find tremendous uh, peace from the Holy Spirit about the, your, your security in Christ. Yeah, that's really good, too. I, I think especially when it's when it's the result of a spiritual attack, there's also probably, you know, because of effort on the enemy's part they sure. they want you to isolate they want Absolutely. you know you know satan doesn't want us to reach out and lean no. on one another he stay, wants stay us in to, darkness yeah stay, yeah stay in the darkness stay you know shut up by yourself and exactly. and try and deal with it on your own and don't turn to others cuz i mean i think one of the benefits of community is that our assurance isn't only just this, uh, you know, our uh, us on an island yes. in our own experience, but yes. of being able to relate with others and, and, you know, honestly, in the times that we think like, man, I'm, my life is a wreck. Look at what right. I, maybe I've slipped into this pattern of sin and I'm just like, man, I don't, I don't think a real Christian would do this. Yeah, and then you turn to Christian? others and they say... Dude, yeah. yeah, you might have you might have messed up here, but I'm seeing fruit here. Yeah, and I'm, you know, and we can be encouraged that way. And I mean, even in my own life, it's not like I've historic. This has historically been a struggle for me in terms of assurance. But there have been moments where you know maybe I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> maybe in school I'm thinking yeah. about some big doctrine, doctrine, and all of a sudden yeah. I'm overthinking things, and sure. I'm just kind of like, wait a minute, what? And then you know we're able to turn to scripture and yes, different places that speak to what it looks like to be someone who's been made alive with. Christ, yes. you know, to your point, yeah. there's evidence of that. Evidence. There's evidence that we can look at. We don't have to feel like we're, um, you know, one, maybe we think, well, it's prideful for me to say that I have fruit. Yeah. It's not. We can right. be honest and Absolutely. look at that. And, you know, a couple different places that are just really, uh, for me, have been comforting is, you know, John 6 is is a chapter mm-hmm. where Jesus is talking about like, hey, no one can come to, to mm-hmm. me unless the Father draws him. Mm-hmm. Are you having the desire to come to Christ? Yes, that's you know, the is that evidence that the spirit is drawing you, you know, because we can't do it on our own. Well said. Um, The other thing is, you know, first Corinthians, Paul talks about the fact that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, do I have a love for the gospel or, you know, is, are my affections for Christ something that someone who is perishing, someone who, who looks at the gospel and says that's foolishness, uh, is that congruent or maybe can I just take comfort in the fact that, okay, maybe I'm, I'm going through a rough time of life, but I can honestly say, you know, I, I, I see in myself that the Lord has made me alive, uh, and I have spiritual life because I love the gospel because I see value in that. And I, you know, so I, I think there's, there's ways that, you know, to your point, 
of, you know, are there, are there desires on my part that, that are evidence of, um, the Holy Spirit working in my mm-hmm. life? Um, and then also, you know, I, I don't think it's a, uh, coincidence that a desire for scripture is, goes hand in hand with knowing scripture and being mm-hmm. able to, to kind of tell ourselves scripture when mm-hmm. we need to hear it. Yes, um, so, absolutely. Anyways, that's really good. You know, a book that's helpful, we try to make book recommendations on the uh, on the podcast here, but a book that's helpful, and I haven't looked at it in a while, I'm assuming it's still in print, probably should have checked this, but um, is a book called How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian um, by Donald Whitney. Mm. Uh, Don Whitney's a, um, well, he was here at, at our, uh, he was here this summer uh, speaking at a worship conference, yeah. doing a breakout session, but he uh, he's a professor at... Uh, Southern Seminary in mm-hmm. uh, Louisville, and uh, a wonderful, wonderful guy. But he's written a book called "How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian?" And uh, I, I've given that out uh, to folks who have wrestled with assurance, and they have uh, people have told me they've been it's been very helpful uh, for them in the middle of that uh, in the middle of that battle. So um, anyway, uh, there there's something you could uh, pick up and pick yeah. up and read, and would, would help you perhaps say. Um, more clearly and more well thought out what we've said here. But, um, yeah. but anyway, so hopefully that'd be helpful. Well, very good. I think that's all our questions. Okay. And that was really helpful, man. Thank you for taking the time out you of bet. your uh, evening to do this. And uh, again, feel free to text in your questions. We're happy to uh, talk through those here on this podcast, but we hope you guys have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday. Take care. Bye-bye.